Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Praise the Lord. Turn with me in your Bible to Ezekiel 33. Tonight we'll pick up where we left off from this morning. If you weren't in the morning service, if you were in one of the children's departments, uh, we'll catch you up tonight a little bit. Praise God. This morning we were talking about the prayer of intercession, which is one kind of praying. It's not the only kind of praying. It's not the most important kind. The most important kind of praying is the kind of praying that the Spirit calls forth. Whatever, however the Spirit of God is flowing, uh, that's the most, kind, uh, most important kind of, of, uh, of praying to do. When we talk about the different names, the different kinds of, of prayer, it's not so that we can become legalistic and clinical in our praying and just knowing you know, certain prayer terminology and, and so forth, but by knowing more about the different kinds of prayer, when the Spirit moves in that direction, we know how to engage in, in, uh, in that kind of prayer and be effective, amen? You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, just pray. Everything will turn out good. But there's, there's praying, but there's effective praying. And, uh, and if you don't know how to, uh, what God expects of you, praying different ways, if you don't know the, the uh, principles that, are involved in that type of praying, you, you won't be effective in it. And so that's why we identify these different, these different things. And so when it comes to revival praying, supplication and intercession are, are two kinds of praying that, uh, that are especially uh, employed in, pray, excuse me, in praying for and, and uh, sustaining revival. Along the way, though, in any setting, revival times or any times, the other kinds of prayer are important too. And so we'll have all, we'll pray all the different kinds of praying as, as we move forward. Uh, but there are some things here about supplication and intercession that we need to lay hold of. Amen. In, uh, this, this morning we were talking about, we first of all gave example of Abraham's intercession on behalf of Sodom. Uh, when Lot and his family were there. And the Bible says in Genesis 15 that a cry came up uh, from uh, Sodom because of their sin. And we noted that sin cries out to God just like faith does. And faith <clears throat> invokes God's blessing. Sin provokes God's wrath. And, uh, but God, God is not a God of, of, that takes pleasure in wrath. He's not a God that takes pleasure in judgment. Judgment is necessary because, he, because he's a God of justice. And justice requires judgment. But he doesn't delight in people being judged. He delights in giving mercy. Amen. We, we read Micah. Turn over there. Hold your place here in uh, Ezekiel. and Turn just a little bit further over to the book of Micah. It's right after Jonah. Micah chapter 7. The last part of this verse says, because he, he says he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. God, aren't you glad that God delights in mercy? 
He takes pleasure in mercy. He doesn't take pleasure in wrath. He takes pleasure in mercy, but nonetheless, his wrath and his judgment are are facts that we have to deal with. Amen. We can't just ignore the reality of it. Amen. It's not fair to this world to to, uh, deny the reality of judgment. This world needs the gospel preached to them, but they also need to be warned. Paul, in the last chapter of the book of Acts, when he was under house arrest, said that, that he argued about righteousness and judgment to come. We think about righteousness being the message of the gospel, and it is. And that is the, that is the truth and the, and the emphasis of the gospel is uh, not God's wrath, but his righteousness being revealed and being made available to us and, and that we can have his righteousness. But Paul, at the end there, he, he argued about and, and, and uh, uh, pressed on the subject of righteousness and judgment to come. There is judgment to come. And so uh, the prayer of intercession is a prayer to hold back judgment. People, for, for a long time, we had the idea that intercession was simply praying for somebody else. But that's not really the case. It is praying for somebody else, but it's for, for a particular purpose. The prayer of what a lot of people thought intercession was was really supplication. Supplication is praying for somebody else, but supplication can be made for yourself as well. But uh, the Bible talks about prayers, intercessions, supplications, giving of thanks be made for all men. Uh, when it comes to praying for the lost and praying for backsliders, uh, praying for those who, because of their wrongdoing, have incurred God's wrath or his wrath is impending, the prayer of intercession comes in. It's a prayer to hold off judgment. And so uh, in Ezekiel 33, now we said this too, that over and over again, you see the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. You see them in a revived state. The prophet, God would raise up a prophet and he would preach to the people and they would be uh, restored to a place of, of right living and living by the law and, and obeying God and, and, and seeking God. And then they would backslide. And when they backslid, God would send prophets to them again to warn them. And sometimes they would turn back to the Lord, but other times they wouldn't and wrath would would happen. Judgment would come. We see it over and over again. Sometimes then after judgment came, then they would repent. But it's it's better to, to judge yourself and not be judged. Amen? So in Ezekiel 33, the Lord... Uh, it says, say to them, the Lord is speaking and he's telling the prophet Ezekiel to say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his evil way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? That is the heart of God. He wants people to turn from their evil ways. Let's look, before we go any further, let's look at uh, some other examples of intercession. Go with me to Numbers chapter 14. No, I'll tell you what, we'll skip that for time's sake. Go to Ezekiel, I mean to Exodus 32. Go to Exodus 32. This is a real good example of Moses uh, interceding 
for the children of Israel in Exodus 32. Uh, in the previous chapters of Exodus, Moses had been called up by God into the mountain, upon the top of the mountain to receive the law. He was called up there for 40 days. He was completely engulfed in the glory of God. He received the entire law having to do with uh, uh, the tabernacle and the worship and all of the things involved in it. He had received two tablets that had been printed on, uh, written on the front and back of these two tablets by the very finger of God. God had, had actually engraved these two tablets with his own finger and giving them what we call the Ten Commandments. But uh, while Moses was in the mountain, he, because he was up there so long, the people backslid. You know, it didn't take long. I've said before, people always backslide. That doesn't mean you have to backslide. But I'm saying that historically, God's people are prone to backslide. They always were, always have been in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Amen. We have to stir ourselves up. You're not gonna just drift through life spiritually, just kind of coasting along, not being real interested, just enough to stay, you're backslidden. Amen. A lot of backslidden, backslidden Christians wouldn't admit they are, but they are. Well, that went over real big, it always does. Well, the people rose up and demanded that, that Aaron make them a, a god. He said, as of the god that, that led us out here. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know what happened to Moses. We need something else. So Moses took all of their gold. I mean, excuse me, Aaron took all of their gold and shaped it into a, a calf. And they worshiped it. And they said, this is the God who led us out of Egypt. Verse six says, then they rose up early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go, get down. For your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Your people that you brought out. The people were saying this calf brought us out. God didn't want anything to do with it. He said, they're your people, Moses, and you brought them out. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Have you ever been in a, in a place, maybe at, at, you know, you were, uh, sometimes we do this for fun. Usually it's not real serious, but you'll have a group of people, you know, maybe over and uh, somebody's about to leave and they say, well, I'm leaving. Nobody pays them any attention. They say, <clears throat> I'm leaving now. So what? You know, nobody cares. <laughs> Don't try to stop me now. Nobody try to stop me. Get away from the door. I'm leaving. What are you doing? You're trying to get somebody to say, Don't go. Isn't that right? That's what the Lord did next. The Lord said to Moses, verse nine, I have seen this people and indeed it is stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone in my wrath that, 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 that my wrath might burn against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Let me alone. Don't stop me, Moses. Don't try to stop. Moses, I'm trying to stop him. 
Moses didn't want to own up to this people either. Don't stop me, Moses. What was he doing? He was trying to get Moses to stop him. Come on now. That's what he was doing. He wanted Moses to stop him. See, sin calls for judgment, but God doesn't take pleasure in judgment. In wrath, he takes pleasure in mercy. So he needed somebody to to stand between them and him and make intercession. So he said, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Moses Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? Nobody wanted these people. Nobody wanted to own them. (laughs) You brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them on the, uh, from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit, inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. What did Moses do? Moses stood between God and the people and said, don't, God, I pray, have mercy. Have mercy on this people. And that's what God needed. He needed somebody that would do that because uh, somebody has to ask. Somebody has to ask. Amen. Uh, Go to Ezekiel. We were in Ezekiel 33. Go to Ezekiel 30, uh, 22, Ezekiel 22, Ezekiel 22, and let's look at verse 30 and 31, so I sought, are you there yet, Ezekiel 22, for I, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. See, that's what he was doing with with Moses. He He was seeking a man and he had a man that he could trust. He knew he could trust Moses to stand in the gap. And here in another time, much later in Ezekiel's day, the Lord said, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But now notice how sad but I found no one. I found no one. Therefore, I have poured my indignation on them. Well, that's, that's terrible. But that's, it has to happen. I said judgment has to come unless somebody will, will stand in the gap and plead someone's case in, in, uh, so that God could have mercy on them. Amen? Uh, Go with me to now to Job, the ninth chapter. Job chapter nine. And let's look even more back a little bit further than Moses. The books of the Bible are not laid out necessarily in chronological fashion. Some of them are in groups, in groupings they are. Uh, Within groupings they're laid out chronologically, but, but they're not grouped chronologically. 
You may or may not know this, but the book of Job is the oldest book in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses came along uh, after much later than Abraham, and Moses was given the first five books of the Bible. He was given by revelation. He was given the story of Genesis. He wasn't there, but the Lord revealed it to him, and he recorded the book of Genesis, and of course Exodus he was involved in in, 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 the, in the giving of the law. Uh, but he received the rest by revelation, and, and probably some had been passed down by tradition, you know, orally. But uh, uh, he wrote that in his day, but in Abraham's day, most, most Bible scholars believe that Job was a contemporary of Abraham, that, li- that they lived about the same time. And uh, uh, this book, uh, written by Job, chronicles uh, how God dealt with him during the days of Abraham. We don't know that they knew each other. There's no indication of that, but, but Bible scholars generally think they lived about the same time. And so again, Job is, is uh, the earliest writing uh, rev- uh, of, of inspired writing, scripture uh, in the Bible. In Job chapter nine, Job makes this uh, statement in verse number 32, talking about God. He said, for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Neither is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. He said, he's not a man like I am. We can't go to court and reason together because he's God and I'm just a man. And there's no, there's no one between us. There's no mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. This was the condition of fallen man. Mankind didn't have anybody that could stand between them and, and, uh, and, and God. Uh, the, the, new, the English Standard Version says there is, there is no arbiter bef- between us. The Amplified Bible says there's no umpire between us. And even though on a, on a local level, you know, when God's people finally received the law, uh, you know, Abraham stood between God and judgment of, of, of the city of Sodom. And Moses stood between God and the people concerning, uh, you know, to put away his judgment in the time of the nation of Israel. But as far as humanity as a whole, Job, he recognized that there was no one ultimately that could stand between God and mankind and put a hand on both of them and bring them together because there was God and there was man. There wasn't anybody in between. And he said, the, the Amplified side says, there, there's no umpire between us. And then it adds this phrase, uh, would to God there was. That was the cry of Job's heart. I wish there was someone that could come between us. Turn with me over to Isaiah, the 59th chapter. Isaiah 59. <clears throat> And we'll start in verse number nine. This is the sin of Israel, but it's really the condition of mankind. If you read over in the book of Romans, it talks 
in, in the first uh, couple of chapters there, and, and uh, it talks about the sinfulness of man. And right on in through the middle of the third chapter of, of Romans, it talks about the unrighteousness and the filthy rags and the, and the feet that run, you know, swiftly run to shed blood and so forth. That's really what the prophet is talking about here in these verses and starting verse nine. It says, therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind. And we, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. And our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. As, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth has fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil, departs from evil, makes himself a prey. That's the condition of fallen mankind right there. Now notice that it says then in the last part of verse 15, then the Lord saw it and it displeased him. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man. He saw that there was no man, not, not one person alive, not Abraham, not anybody was without sin. There was nobody could stand between uh, him and mankind. It says he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. God realized there was no man. There was no human being, no one qualified. So God took it upon himself to, to have his own righteousness be established through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Turn with me to second, uh, to 1 Timothy, rather, the second chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse number 5 says, For there is one God and one, and I might add, an only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because there wasn't anybody else qualified. There never has been anyone else qualified. Like I said, the intercessors that we see in the Old Testament were men who could temporarily stand between God and a nation because they had a specific relationship with him. God had entered into a relationship, for instance, with, with the nation of Israel. And so, so Moses could stand in the, in the gap between uh, uh, God and the nation of Israel where judgment was concerned because they had disobeyed his instructions to them as a nation. But as far as the, home, old, the entire human race, there was no one. There was no one guiltless. So God, God said, because of that, my own righteousness took over. And it says there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Thank God he sent Jesus. Amen? We're going to read some scriptures that just uh, 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 strengthen that. Turn to the ninth chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9 
Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true. See, the, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, when God told Moses to build the tabernacle, God took Moses in the spirit and showed him the, the temple in heaven, showed him the throne of God in heaven. And then he told him to build the earthly tabernacle after the pattern of what he had seen from God. So that's what that's referring to here. It says, uh, in, in again, for, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, like Moses' tabernacle or Solomon's temple, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. See, in the tabernacles made with men, made with hands, the tabernacle in the wilderness and the, and the temple in the Old Testament, human men, high priests, but they were men just like everybody else. And they would go in and they would make symbolic offerings. Uh, to, and all that did was because of the law, God said you could do this and it withheld judgment. They would slay an animal and shed the blood of an animal and it, withhold, it would withhold judgment. It would push off judgment for another year. And the next year, the high priest would have to come in and do it all over again on the day of atonement. Why is that? Because the New Testament says it's, it's not possible for the blood of goats and bulls to wash away sin. It took a greater sacrifice than that. Well, here it says Jesus basically became our high priest and he has entered into the presence of God for us. Amen? Now go with me to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. Verse 34 says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, notice, who also makes intercession for us. The Lord Jesus Christ is making intercession for us today. Why do we need intercession? Because we mess up. Because we sin. Amen. Even though we're Christians, even though we've been born again, we still miss the mark. Well, why doesn't judgment fall when we miss the mark? Not just because we're born again, but because there's an intercessor standing between us and judgment. Amen. Have you ever had uh, the Lord deal with you about straightening your life up and, and drawing closer to the Lord and sometimes you become aware of how, of how much you've, uh, uh, how you've missed it and how you've disappointed the Lord surely and, and how you've fallen and failed him so many times and, and the thought comes to you, I don't know how, the, how in the world the Lord even puts up with me. How in the world has, has, has his judgment not fallen on me? Well, this tells us right here why. Huh? Who also makes intercession for us. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. <clears throat> I know it's in my Bible. Hebrews chapter 7. 
Verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Notice, since he always lives to make intercession for us. He always lives. What has Jesus been doing since he ascended into heaven over two thousand or nearly two thousand years ago? Just sitting up there drinking coffee and watching reruns? No. What has he been doing? He ever lives to make intercession. Jesus' high priestly ministry is one of making intercession. He ever lives to make intercession. What does it say? For them. Who's, who are them? Those who come to God through him. That would include us, include us, wouldn't it? Every time we go to God, thank God there's an intercessor there. Thank God we can come before him even though we failed. Even though we've missed the mark, we can still come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because we have an intercessor there. Someone interceding. He's also an advocate. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse John. Verse, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus' ministry, since his ascension, he has entered into his high priestly ministry. Just like the high priest of the old covenant was there to, 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 to minister for men minister to God on behalf of men, Jesus ministers to the Father on our behalf. He stands and ever lives as our high priest, our advocate, and our intercessor. Glory to God. What a, what a tremendous truth that is. What a dignity that adds to prayer. When we think about the ministry of prayer, we're, we're wanting to enlist more people in the ministry of prayer. We're, we're, we're trying to get more people to awaken to the ministry of prayer. And, and it's an effort. Now listen, what I'm about to say, I'm not picking on anybody in particular, so don't think about anybody in particular. But this is just, this is just a fact. We see who comes back to church on Sunday night. I preach on Sunday mornings and sometimes I'm not able to get into certain things on Sunday morning because I know it's, sometimes it's falling on deaf ears. I mean, if you, I'm not picking on anybody, so I'm not talking about anybody in particular, I'm just talking about it in general. If you can't even come to church twice on Sunday, who thinks you're gonna give yourself to intercession? You can't even come to church. I know that as a pastor. I mean, that's something that I face all the time. And so I'm pouring my heart out trying to get people to get involved in the ministry of prayer. But I know a lot of times my words are falling on deaf ears. People are sitting in church. They got their little gadgets with them. Come on, ushers, tell me this. I say, Pastor, you ought to look around sometimes in church. People are texting. Now, now they might be looking at the Bible. 
you know, Steve's showing me that he's got the Bible open. But the ushers say sometimes they're not. They're, they're on Facebook during church. Well, you know, uh, I'm, I want to, I do my best to, to stir up a passion for prayer. And, and some people just, they're not interested. Now, now don't misunderstand me, I'm not angry because some of those people will get interested. We haven't given up on them. That's why I do it again next Sunday. Because, because more and more people, it'll dawn on them. It'll dawn, and, and it'll happen not just because of my illustrious preaching, but because of your prayer for them. That's why we, we pray on Wednesday night. You, I mean, on Monday night, you'll hear me sometimes pray for more and more people in the church to get hold of this message and to, to awaken to prayer. I, I pray that very often because, uh, and it's happening. The, the, the ranks are growing, but, but sometimes it's a slow process. More prayer will speed up that process. I said more prayer will speed up that process. But I said all that to say this. I, I, I'm trying to get people to, to awaken to prayer, if people only understood how, how hallowed and sacred and exalted and wonderful and, and uh, 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 precious and privileged, that's the word I'm looking for, how privileged the place of prayer is. I wouldn't have to beg people to pray. I wouldn't have to do my best to paint the prettiest picture and try to draw people. What we're talking about is taking on the very ministry of Jesus. He ever lives to make intercession. It can't be something that we should look down on or should think, oh, I wouldn't want to be involved in prayer. It's the most Christ-like thing you can do. Jesus ever lives to make intercession. That fact, when that, when that, uh, 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 gets into you and you, and, you, and you grasp the reality of that, you'll think, oh my goodness, what, a, what a, a, a wonderful and privileged place and opportunity that God is actually calling me. The Spirit of God is actually calling me to, to come in and sit next to the Master and actually enter into His intercessory ministry. That's what intercession's all about. I asked the question this morning. I kind of got ahead of myself. I was going to ask it tonight, but I asked it this morning. On what basis can we pray and petition God and make intercession for people? On what basis? We do it on the basis that we're one with Christ. That's the basis. That's why we can do it. It's because Jesus has entered into that high priestly office of prayer and intercession on behalf of people and because we are one with him, we get to partake of that and when we pray for other people and we get involved in supplication and intercession for others, we're partaking of of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. We have authority to do that. Why can I pray 
for a backslider who has turned his, 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 away from God, has slipped back into, into the world and seemingly isn't interested or just given up on the Lord. And he's got all these sins. How, how is it that I can pray to God and get God to move on his behalf? Who am I? It's not, I'm not by myself in this. I'm one with Jesus in this. He's interceding for that person. And, and his high priestly ministry takes its power or its effectiveness as it is shared by his body. If Christ could do it by himself, he wouldn't need us. He can't do it all by himself. He is our advocate before the Father and, and we can't take that place but at the same time, he needs us to participate in intercession because we are joint, not taking his place, but we are in his place when it comes to prayer. And he can't, his intercession, for it to be effective, he needs our participation in it. Why? Because he's the head and we're the body. He's up there, but we're down here. Remember the, 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 the premise God can do nothing for mankind unless somebody asked him. And so if a backslider or a sinner or, or, a, or a, a misguided church, if people aren't asking for themselves, we have the authority to do it on their behalf, on their behalf because we're, we're co-laborers with Christ. Hallelujah. It, uh, it presents prayer in an entirely different light. You still have your flesh to deal with. But the reality of this, should this enlightenment that we have should be a big help to us. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The, uh, my goodness. I'm really trying to, to, to cut back. I haven't been effective lately. <laughs> Seems like I've gone longer lately. I'm really trying to cut back. And, uh, you know, the, I understand that the heart can only uh, receive what the seat can endure. <laughs> you wouldn't think I know that, but I really, in, in theory, I do know that. <laughs> I do acknowledge it in theory. And, and so I'm trying to, uh, to, to cut back, but then I'm thinking, well, it's still early. <laughs> Praise God. Let me just say this. <laughs> You've heard that before, haven't you? Hallelujah. We won't get very far into this, but the first and, and, and uh, the first prerequisite, prerequisite for a successful prayer life is love. The God kind of love. Love is the foundation for a successful prayer life. And see, if you're born again, you have the God kind of love in you. The Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. The Bible says that we are taught of God. We don't need an, an epistle to teach us that. Paul wrote to the church there in, uh, in Thessalonica and he said, I don't need to write to you about this because you yourself are taught of God to love one another. We're taught of God to love one another, uh, but we're also commanded to love our enemies. Those who persecute us. Those who speak evil of us, we're supposed to love them too. Amen. You know, it was the love of God that led Jesus into his ministry. When he fed the 5,000, 
It was compassion that led him to do that. When he fed the, the, the 7,000, the 12,000, the 4,000, when he, when he fed those people, it was the compassion of the Lord. When he healed the sick, it was because of compassion. It was because of God's love. Well, in order to make supplication and intercession effectively, we must see people as God sees them. We have to see them as God sees them. Go with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9. Verse 35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. We would probably have been inclined to look at them differently. It doesn't say so, but the little bit that I've read about the uh, 12 disciples, they probably weren't inclined to look at these people this way. Uh, Jesus, when he would uh, meet with the multitude to feed them, he would command the disciples to, to have the people sit down in groups of 50 and 100 and sit down in, in and, and you're talking about several thousand people He'd have them sit in groups of 50s and 100s. And the way the Greek describes it, he would have them seated. The, the Eastern uh, way of taking a meal was people sat to eat in a low table and someone would come, a U-shaped table, and the server would come inside that U-shape and, and, and wait on the people. And Jesus would have the disciples have the entire multitude of 12,000 people plus women and children, that was just men, sit down in groups of 50 and hundreds in these U-shaped formations and then he broke the bread, gave it to the disciples and they went and gave it to the people. And uh, you know that took some organization. That didn't happen just like snap your fingers. I could have taken a couple hours to even just get people sort of organized and seated. You only had 12. Maybe they deputized some other people to help them. I don't know. But I've been, I've been in some crusade sites overseas where there have been thousands of people present. And um, they'll get on your nerves. <laughs> They're completely out of control. I've been there in, in Africa on, on several different occasions and the people come out and, uh, you know, they, they, don't, they don't have anybody to guide them. They come out to hear the gospel and they come by the thousands and they'll just, they'll, they'll throng. You hear in the scriptures where, where they thronged Jesus, they pressed upon him, you know, and, and would have just trampled him. And, and the disciples had to, to do something to pray. I've been in these crusades and the people, if, if you don't do something, if you don't put up a barrier, they'll just keep pressing right in. And, and it's mass people. And you can get trampled. And, uh, and some of the crusades that, that I, I was in back in the early 90s, you know, the, the people working the crusade, they were out there. I mean, they were uh, Ramah students that were in these, in these crusades there at, you know, doing, what do you call it, internship, you know, in the mission field. And they were out there with sticks, you know, beating people. Got to get back and taking whips. And I mean, not whips, but like 
ropes and, and belts and things because the people, they just come and they're just so hungry for God. Well, you get trampled. So all I'm saying is the disciples probably looked at the crowd with a little bit of disgust. Human nature being what it is, they were probably a little put out with them. They probably thought this crowd, these people are crazy. All they want is food. All they want is healing. They just in, they're just inter- interested in themselves. They're uncouth. They're not well behaved. I can imagine what they thought. It's not the way Jesus saw them. When he saw the multitude, he wasn't moved with their bad behavior. He wasn't moved with their lack of organization. He wasn't moved with their selfishness. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I'm sure the, I'm sure the disciples yet thought, yeah, the harvest is great and the laborers are few. There's not enough of us. Jesus said, we need more like you. Pray the Lord of the harvest that will send out labors. But my point is, we need to see the world like Jesus does. We need, to see, we need to see people not with disgust, but see them through the eyes of compassion. We'll never be able to intercede and make supplication for saints like we should unless we see them the way God sees them. Now, God sees their error. God sees their sin. He sees their their mistakes. But it's so easy for us to only see that. It's it's easy for us to just get, to to just be uh, disappointed and antsy and, and judgmental. God sees their sin, but he also sees the potential. He sees them as as people that are weak, scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. That's why people need to belong to a local church. But a lot of people don't. And a lot of people that say they do don't. A lot of people that come to church, even this church, they don't have a shepherd. They, they call me pastor, but they won't even come back to hear the, the shepherd's message. Amen. Once, you know, every few weeks. Oh, yeah, I'm a member of Impact. I go down to Impact. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that are still shepherdless. And, and, and the result, they're, they're weary and scattered. Well, I, you know, get mad at them. Throw them out. Say, well, listen, if you can't do any better than that, just don't come back at all. No, you have to see them the way God sees them. He sees potential. Aren't you glad he saw potential in you? God saw me. I don't care, I don't care the, the darkest sinner you can think of, the most vile person you can think of. Does God see that vileness? Yeah. He does. He, 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 and, and it calls for, for a reaction from him. But his love, he also sees something else in that vile person that we, you wouldn't even want to talk to him. I mean, you, there are people that you and I, we wouldn't even want to be in the same room with some people. 
God sees something different. He sees what he has ordained their life to be. He has a plan for them. Those people sitting on death row, committed all those violent acts and those terrible, heinous crimes, God saw, God had a plan for their life that was entirely different. He had a plan for their life and it wasn't to be sitting on death row. God has a plan for everybody. And when God sees us, he's, I'm so glad that, that he saw something in me. He, he, he didn't see anything, he didn't see anything in me of myself. He saw something that he had for me. I didn't have anything to offer God. You kidding me? As a young man, I didn't have anything to offer. I had virtually nothing to offer anybody else as far as that goes. But I surely didn't have anything to offer God. None of us did. None of us came to God and said, look here, God, you're really getting a good catch here. You know, you ought to be really, you ought to be really thankful that I'm, that I'm talking to you because I'm some... You know, it really amazes me when, when uh, celebrities, you know, start talking like they found Christ. Christians just get all beside themselves. Well, you know, certain so, you know, so-and-so, the big, you know, star, they found the Lord, they're a Christian. Well, you know, yeah, let's see. I'm gonna withhold judgment because a few years later, they're arrested somewhere drunk. But anyway, we get all excited because somebody important None of us have anything to offer God. God's not interested. I mean, he's not impressed with a, with a rock and roll singer or a big uh, movie star or politician. We don't, that's nothing to God. Thank God, we, though we had nothing to offer him, he saw something in us. What did he see? He saw his plan. He saw what we would be in Christ. And, and for us to have an effective prayer life, we have to be moved with that compassion. And that's what I talked about this morning when it comes to fervency. Uh, we pick up the yearning that God has for people. And we, we pick that up through prayer and spending time with him and fellowshipping with him. And the more of his yearning that we pick up, the more effective our praying is. That's why we're exhorted over and over and over again to fervency. You just look, run the reference on fervency. You'll find, you know, fervent, fervency, you know, uh, uh, so forth. You'll find several references in the New Testament, probably five or six that specifically talk about being fervent in prayer. Why is that? Because he wants us to, to, to get a hold of his heart, to share in his heart. And like I said this morning, God is not, he's not, uh, half-hearted about anything. He loves people with such a yearning and such a passion, such a, a 100% desire. Well, when we pray for somebody, we pray with a 3% desire. Oh, God, bless so-and-so. Help them, Lord. Lead them to the Lord. Send labors to them. You know, that, that's good. But that's, that's, that's not, God, God's stronger than that. His desire for that person is stronger than that. Well, he needs us to join with him in this ministry of Christ, this ministry joined together with Christ of, recon of, of reconciliation, intercession. He needs us to join with him, but to the degree that we are able to uh, yield to and participate in his deep love and, and desire and, and fervency to the degree that we're able to lay hold of that in prayer and enter into that, 
That's the degree, that is the degree of the success of our praying. Because he can reward that. Amen? Glory to God. He can't, he can't, he can't move on behalf of, of desire that we don't have. If he could, there'd be no instructions to be fervent. All praying would be casual. If God just needed us to pray for somebody, just pray for him. Oh, God, bless so-and-so. If that's all he needed, man, it'd be a snap. But that more is obviously needed because we know that doesn't get the job done. Why doesn't it? Because, because his desire is greater than that. And so for him to use us and respond to our praying uh, the way he needs to us, he needs to, we need to connect with him. Does that make sense to you? Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, let's, let's not get any further tonight. Uh, we've, I've been at this long enough, almost an hour. So uh, praise God. Hallelujah. We're, he's moving us up higher. He's taking us further. We're learning more about prayer. Praise God. So, so I made the statement this morning, fervency isn't up to God, it's up to us. But, it's not, but having said that, it's not something you can manufacture. So if it's up to us, and yet we need God, how, how, do, we, how do we have fervency? You have fervency by pressing in, by fellowshipping with the Lord. Sometimes somebody will say to me, well, pastor, you know, I just don't have the zeal I used to have. I just don't feel like I'm as, as hungry as I used to. Well, just spend more time with the Lord. Spend more time with him in the word. Spend more time with him in prayer, just worshiping him, staying in his prayer. You can't stay in his presence without his presence getting a hold of you and changing you. And so if you don't have fervency, if you don't, have, if you don't sense a lot of earnestness and desire in your prayer, well, in, your, in your praying for other people, well, spend some more time in his presence just fellowshipping with him, reading the word, just fellowshipping with him in the word and in the spirit through prayer. Just spend time praising God, just loving on God. You'll find yourself beginning to take on. When you begin to pray, you'll be able to go further. You'll be able to take on more of that, of that desire of the Lord. Amen? Well, praise God. Glory to God. He's taking us there. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. The time is coming. Time is coming. Monday night prayer won't be enough. It went over real big. That's why I said something. If I, if I showed you everything that God has ahead of us, some of you get scared, you know. Oh, now you're gone radical. If you read about the great revivals, prayer wasn't restricted to one night a week. Prayer took over everything. I said, if you read of the great revivals, prayer took over everything. It was all-consuming. We're not there yet. I'm not going to try to push something off on us that we're, that we're, where we're not at. But I'm telling you, uh, uh, the time will come. The time will come when, the, when the, the, the little bit of praying we're doing now won't be enough. So the little bit of prayer we're doing now, I've never prayed so much in my life. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm speaking to myself as I am, as much as I am to you. Glory to God. The time will come, we'll, we'll look back and we'll say, boy, we were just in the edge of it, weren't we? Yeah. But praise God, you can't get into deep waters until you wade into the edge. Amen. Not any big uh, diving boards, you know. There's, you know, springboards that you can just jump into the deep end. You have to wade in on this. Amen.
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.